All right. Okay. So all that being said, now we can get into our Bible study for the day. We are going to be starting to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. We just did a introduction last week and last week and talked about the the main theme of it um but we're going to really get into chapter one we're going to do the entire chapter one today so let's go ahead and pray and uh father i i, I come before you right into your presence uh perfectly accepted because of the precious blood of jesus christ that washes my sins away uh even though I do sin, and that is reality. Lord, you have um, promised me that you will never treat me according to my sins, that you will forgive me and shower love and grace and mercy upon me because solely of what Jesus Christ has done. And in that freedom, Lord, I am um, blown away. Lord, I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to love you and do your will um, more than my own. And I want to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow you. Lord, that's what your grace produces in our lives. That's what your free love and mercy that Jesus Christ gives us. That's what it produces is a heart uh, that desires righteousness. And Lord, I thank you for that. I praise you for that. And we thank you for all that you've done in our church and all that you have planned to do in our church. We are ready Lord, to serve you, to to speak of your pure gospel, what you have given to us by your grace. We are ready to call the world to repent and come into your presence. We are we are ready uh, to for whatever you want for us. Uh, we want to just represent your heart, your will, and your word to the to uh, the city that you've placed us in. Um, we thank you for um, providing all that you have for us. And we need you, Lord, more than we could ever imagine. And I pray that you'd help us to understand your words now and what they mean. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, today uh, our Bible study is called Everything is Forgotten, Tired, and Old. Everything is Forgotten, Tired, and Old. All right, so there's a... Um, cartoonist named Ralph Barton. There's a picture of him right there. And he was a very successful cartoonist in in all kinds of newspapers around the country. And he was really in demand. He was really famous and everyone loved him. Okay, real popular. He committed suicide. He took his own life and he left a note saying um, these words. These words were included in that note. He said, I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. I am fed up inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. What Ralph was really saying is that he never could figure out the purpose of life. He could never find it. He was asking, what is the purpose of life? And, and he, he came to the conclusion that everything he tried was of no value, no meaning, no gain was brought to his life through all the different things that he tried. He, you could say this, that Ralph Barton tasted the curse from the Garden of Eden. He tasted it. And like so many before, it was too much for him to bear. And, and he, he was on to something. He, he actually saw the truth. He saw the wizard behind the curtain, if you remember the, the Wizard of Oz. He saw that there was nothing to this life. And it, it grieved him so much that he saw the only escape would be death, and so he took his own life. Consider the pharaohs, all right? There's a family picture of the pharaohs brothers. Just kidding, I have no idea who these guys are, but they look like pharaohs to me. The pharaohs figured that life, this life, this, this 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we have to live on this planet 
isn't where it's at. That, that they couldn't find fulfillment here in this life. They agreed with Ralph Barton. You know, they can't, this life is not what it's all about. So they wanted to be remembered and they built huge, great monuments called the Great Pyramids to their names. Okay. So they built these humongous and they still exist today. And these, these great pyramids in Egypt were built as tombs for the pharaohs, memorials to their lives and, and, uh, a way for them to get to the the life that really matters, the afterlife, uh, safely. So um, they wanted to be remembered, though, after they passed. And uh, these these are some of the most amazing wonders of the world, some of the most incredible things ever built by human beings. And um, I have a question for you. Do you know whose pyramid is whose? There's there's four pyramids there on our, our little screen right there, and each of them were for a different person. Do you know who, okay? Do you remember their names? Um, the answer probably for a vast majority of people in this earth is no. We have no idea who did. And guess what? Scientists, even the archaeologists who study these pyramids, they they have guesses. They're pretty sure on some of them. They're they're not even one hundred percent sure which pyramid belonged to which pharaoh. So you have these giant pyramids sitting there, and all that work. Okay, they think about three hundred fifty thousand laborers worked on these pyramids for about twenty to fifty years. All the work, all those hopes and dreams and designs that these pharaohs had, they did not accomplish what the builders wanted or set out to do. Um, so much sweat and blood for what? For what? Okay. Let's ask Solomon. Remember our, our guy Solomon who wrote this book. He has an opinion. He has some wisdom to share with us. So let's go ahead and get started with our chapter. So we're going to start right at the beginning. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, that's Solomon again. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Remember that word vanity, the point of this book is meaningless or worthless or without value or without gain. Okay, so that's the, the point that he's saying, that this life has is really uh, messed up. And we're going to see that that links back to the curse in the Garden of Eden. He says here, though, what profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Our key word for today, for chapter one, is profit. And the another way you could translate that is gain. Okay, so what profit or what gain has a man, Solomon says, from all the labor which he toils under the sun? Uh, he says, guys, everything we do is not making a profit, okay? But he's not talking about money. He's not talking about money. That's, this is not an economics lesson. He's talking, is there anything humanly meaningful? Is there anything soul-satisfying about our lives here on this earth? The majority of people on this earth are not just poor. They may be poor uh, financially, but they're not just poor financially. They're hungry in their soul. They are soul-starved people. Searching for the emotional leftovers. Searching for a reason. Searching for a purpose to their life. A point to this whole life. The meaning of life. Just like Ralph Barton and all the pharaohs before us. We want our lives to count. As human beings, every single one of us, we want to make a difference in this world. We want to be satisfied with our life. So Solomon asked the question, where is the profit? Where is the gain? Where is the meaning? What are we working for? What are we working for? Okay, I'm going to uh, read a quote from one of the commentaries that I've been reading uh, from uh, Zach Eastwine from his commentary, Recovering Eden, he said, Looking under the sun 
for gain by our toil is like trying to buy medicine in a shoe store. You know, maybe you have a, a great idea for uh, a men's fancy shoe store for all the, you know, special time in a man's life where he needs special shoes and you call it shoe la la or something like that. Um, even if, you know, you're at a fancy shoe store, they're not going to have medicine. It's not even close to what we really need. Looking under the sun for gain by our toil is like trying to buy medicine in a shoe store. The soul-starved people of this world need something. And this book, this book of Ecclesiastes, is going to go to great lengths to help us understand that we are all soul-starved. And that there is a place that we can go uh, that we will, we will always be pointing to, uh, that Ecclesiastes is always pointing to, saying, it's Jesus. It's God. And that is where you will find your gain and your meaning. But we'll get into that at the end. This life, Ecclesiastes is so clear. He says, this life cannot give us meaning. No matter what story you've heard, you know, we've heard of uh, uh, fairy tales that, that give meaning to life, that say the meaning of life is being a kind person or a good person, or the meaning of life is accepting everybody or, uh, or love or joy or doing whatever you want, you know, being free. All these things have been pushed on us as, as being something that will give meaning to our lives. But no matter what celebrity says, you know, no matter what Greta says to me, no one is ever satisfied in this life, Solomon says. The deeper you look, everything we are sold in this life is not going to satisfy us. Ever. And it's a lie to believe that this life will bring us ultimate satisfaction, something under the sun in this world. Now, what you have to do is you have to understand that Solomon is taking God out of the equation, okay? If you take God out of the equation, what you have left is everything under the sun. So remember those words, under the sun, because Solomon's going to say them a lot. I looked under the sun. I considered under the sun. I've, and so what he's doing is he's experimenting with this life. He's going to go through all kinds of experiments. He's going he's gonna to discover and, and search out, is there anything in this life, under the sun, in this life, that can really satisfy. And he's already telling us right now, no, nothing will. So chapter one, what we're seeing here is really kind of an intro overview for the rest of the book. And the main mes messages of this book are, can be found in these two questions, what and why. What and why. And the what question that Solomon's going to ask is, uh, what is the point of life? And he's going to say, well, everything is pointless, meaningless. Why? He's going to say, because the gain that we seek does not exist under the sun. Under the sun, you cannot find the meaning to this life. So he's saying life is pointless. It's lost its mojo. It's unsatisfying. It's empty. It hurts. It stings. So he uses the word vanity to sum up all those ideas. And again, that word means it's transient, it's absurd, it's meaningless, futile, it's unacceptable, it's unsatisfying. All of it, all of this life, no matter what you get or gain, is empty. So Solomon, to summarize this perspective that Solomon gives us, everything under the sun is vanity. So how can we possibly understand everything is meaningless? Well, again, what he means is not life itself um, has no point, but it's, it's that life under the sun. If you remove God from the equation, your life has lost its life. Your life has lost its life when you remove God. Or you could say your light has lost its brightness. Um, so removing God from the equation is, is, so Solomon's really, he's challenging the perspective that you can remove God from the equation and still live a, a life that has 
meaning or value. And, and so the, the preacher, Solomon, he's being contradictory right here. Okay? Solomon actually believes there's great meaning in life. But he's co- contradicting himself by saying there's no meaning when you just look at life as being everything under the sun or when you remove God from the equation. He's teaching us that there is meaning by saying everything is meaningless. He is convinced that, that the meaning that we seek cannot come from anything in this life, that nothing can be gained in this life if you remove God from the equation. So Solomon, he's going to prove his point uh, through the rest of this chapter. Um, he's going to prove his case. So the first thing he says is, first, our times fade from memory. Uh, he starts out, he says, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides from forever. So he's saying our times fade from memory, okay, our lives. Everyone is forgotten, even the most famous people, no matter what, are forgotten. Uh, he summarizes this way down in verse 11. Uh, well, I'll just read that part to you so you can kind of connect the two. He says in verse 11, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the things that are to come by those who will come after. He's saying we don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Solomon, he's going to use some nature illustrations to prove his point. He's going to use the sun, the wind, streams, and the sea. Okay, so look what he says. He says, the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rose. So ask yourself this. Have you spent one moment today thinking about yesterday's sun? Even though you lived through it, even though you experienced the sun yesterday, uh, have you thought about it at all? What about the sun 50 years ago, rising and setting? What about the sunrise 5,000 years ago? Nope. It's no value to us today. And, And he goes on, he says, the wind goes toward the south and it turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again in its circuit. Again, the question, did you think about the wind yesterday? Everything we could accomplish in our lives is like the wind of yesterday, which is forgotten. Something else happens uh, now that matters more, okay? If it's windy today, I might make a comment about it. I might notice it, but it will be soon forgotten. The meaning we were created to know, the the value, like having a life that matters, it doesn't exist if you remove God from the equation. That meaning in this world, on this earth, was cursed away in the garden. That value was cursed away. We have little to no value after our death, Solomon says. All our good is going to be forgotten. All our bad is going to be forgotten. I mean, you have to be really, really, really bad to even be remembered in history books. Like Hitler. And even the really, really, really good people are generally forgotten for just who's popular today, like the wind. So what's the gain from anything that we do? What's the purpose of life? Solomon says, forget about it. Because everyone else is going to forget about it anyway. In this life, our lives are short, like a vapor, like the wind, he says. So, um, So looking for lasting meaning in this life is like trying to make a snowman here in Denver in the winter and trying to make it last until July. Winter goes away, summer comes, it gets really, really hot, and it burns away the snow. You can't make it last. It's a meaningless endeavor to try to make it last. And so some people try to find meaning in doing something that's going to last far beyond their life. Well, when we die, the sun will rise the next morning, guys. You, you, you actually need to believe that. 
we don't want to believe it. We actually kind of don't believe that it's true that the sun will just rise and life will go on and the people of the earth will keep on living after I die. But that's what's going to happen. We don't want to hear what Solomon has to say, but we actually need to hear this because we are way too invested in the temporary things of this life. So to summarize, our times will fade from memory, like it or not. Even if we make an album, it's not going to last forever. You know, for the past 500 years, you know, the most popular instrument in the world was called the harpsichord. Does anyone know any of the Iraqan harpsichord players from the 15th century? Probably not. Even if we rule nations, how many kings from medieval Europe or Persia can you name off the top of your head? No, you can't, I bet. And even if we're really good or do really evil things, it's all going to be forgotten soon enough. Even the ones you do remember, you don't really know. You don't really know who they were. You don't really have that relationship. So Solomon says our times and our life will fade from memory. The second thing he says is everything is tired. So not only will everything be forgotten, but everything is tired. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, to the place where rivers come, and there they return again. And here's so a second lesson from nature, from Solomon. And he's saying here, what is being accomplished? The rivers go into the sea, but the sea is not filled up. What is being accomplished, guys? He's saying there's constant running of water. There's constant evaporating, eroding. There's such power being displayed, but it just goes on over and over and over again. And he's not trying to give us a science lesson here, although it's remarkably scientifically accurate. Uh, he's giving us a lesson in accomplishment. What is being accomplished? How come the, 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 the sea is not filled up? How come it doesn't change at all? And so what he's really saying is, why are we getting so tired doing so much stuff? What are we really accomplishing? When it's not really going to matter at all. The rivers teach us this lesson. Uh, the rivers are so, so tired. Nature is so tired. And, and he says that means we are tired. Nature is repeating the same things over and over and over again. And so is man. He says this. All things are full of labor. Or you could say worrisome. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Nor the ear with hearing. The NLT, the New Living Translation, has a great uh, version of this. It says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. And you could say, like you could add, no matter how much we experience, it's never enough. So God, what is he doing here by, by putting this in the Bible? By having Solomon think these thoughts and write these thoughts down, God is urging us to not set our clutching hopes for gain and meaning in the stuff that, that will be remembered or the stuff that we can do in this life. Trying hard and putting in the work to accomplish something great. God says, be careful, be careful. Meaning isn't in making a name for ourselves or being remembered. Here's our next quote from the same guy, the same author, the same. He says, um, but it cannot satisfy us, this life he's talking about. Everything we sense leaves us restless. Like a child two days after Christmas. Or lovers two days after holding hands for the first time. We grow bored even with good things. We always want more. Why do we always want more? It's because of the curse. It's because of the curse. Because nothing can, can truly satisfy our hearts anymore because that was cursed away. So our third point that Solomon's going to make is that everything is old. I hate hand-me-downs. I didn't have an older brother, so I didn't have to experience much. But my kids have definitely had their fair share of hand-me-downs. And I hear that phrase all the time. I hate hand-me-downs. All right, verse 9 says, That which has been is what will be. That which is done 
is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who, have, who will come after. Now, I know what you thought, I think. What I thought is, wait a second, I have a cell phone. I have an iPhone. I have an iPad. And those things are new, and the past generations never experienced that. But Solomon is not talking about technology or inventions. The things that people create are not his focus. Rather, what he's talking about here is, is that the toil and the work of human beings under the sun, okay, they don't gain anything, any real gain or any real meaning for their lives. All people do stuff. All people invent things. But they don't gain that satisfaction that we lost in the Garden of Eden by inventing things or by producing things, or by doing stuff, or by thinking, or by anything, he's saying. It all is not going to truly satisfy. It doesn't fix the curse. It's all going to grow old and wear out, right? How many computers from 10 years ago are still working, let alone valuable to this world that we live in? You know, technology changes so fast, especially in our lifetime, but does technology really change hearts or give value to people? Everyone has longed for the same things throughout the generations of this planet. Everyone has tried to satisfy the hunger for meaning and value. It's all been done before is what Solomon says. You think you're the first one to wonder, I, I hope my life matters or I'd like to be happy or I'd like to be fulfilled in some way. No, people have tried. People have all thought it. People have all felt it. And people have tried every conceivable way already. Solomon is way further down that road than we probably ever will be in our lives. Everyone has had to work for their food and clothing and shelter. Everyone has had to think about work. And everyone's woken up on a Saturday saying, I don't have to go to work today. I'm so happy. Everyone has had family and children and then to think about what legacy they were going to leave to those people. Everyone's had to deal with the weather. Everyone's had to deal with romance. You're not the first person to fall in love. Everyone's had to deal with aging. Everyone's had to deal with sadness, grief, and loss. Everyone's had to think about and consider forgiveness, commitments. Everyone has had to has gotten to laugh. Everyone has had dreams. None of it is new. It's all been tried. Everything is old, Solomon is saying. We have all had to live through these same human experienced things. You know, putting a Tesla in space hasn't stopped divorces or depression, has it? iPhones haven't brought world peace. And guess what? Even if world peace came, it wouldn't satisfy the eternal longing and need in man for value and purpose. Hand-me-downs. That's what we have. We, the ancient search for meaning and value in this life is like our hand-me-downs. And our own search for meaning will follow the same path and will end up in the same destination as every single person who has come before us. There's an empty pot at the end of the rainbow. Nothing in it. That's what Solomon's saying. He's trying to save us from a life of pointless striving. Now we're going to talk about that word striving because there is a striving that is valuable and uh, but Solomon isn't going to tell us about it. Jesus will. Solomon does have a, per, a personal task that he is doing here. He's got a purpose for what he's doing. So let's look at his personal task. He says, I, the preacher, was king 
over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. So basically Solomon is saying, I, I, I soon discovered as I started searching out the meaning of life that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Solomon tried his best. He was the smartest man who ever lived. God told us that. And he's trying to find, figure out the meaning of life. And what he found out was a tragedy. He said, this life has been tragically cursed. And he found that the curse is too strong to overcome. It's too complete. Everything was completely cursed. And the curse cannot be undone by human efforts, by human work. So he says this, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and a grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness. I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that, the, that this also is grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon is saying that even though he's tried, he can't fix any of these problems that he's going to talk about in this book. He's just a fellow prisoner explaining the prison to all the other prisoners. This book doesn't fix anything, but it shines a light on the problems and the current state of life. And we actually need that. We need to know that the curse from Eden is real, it's harsh, it's unforgiving, it does not go away. It's the part of God's character that doesn't let us off the hook for the sin in the garden. He can't just let it go. He cursed this world. It's done. It's been done. This life. And that curse in the guard, from the garden continues. And knowing this, Solomon knows it really well. He says that doesn't bring him joy. In fact, it brings him more sorrow to know that the curse is so powerful, so real, so life-sucking. He says in this case, ignorance is bliss. You might, be, you, you might actually be happier if you didn't know. He says, but if you have any hope of actually escaping this curse, of, of, of seeing life differently, uh, of being satisfied, you have to know it. You have to feel it. You have to taste the curse. And that's what this book is for. It's supposed to be bitter in our mouth and in our heart when we read and understand the words that Solomon is saying. Because we all want to be happy. It's like the American dream. And this book is saying, Psh, forget about it. You're not going to be happy. And your search for happiness is showing that you really don't even understand what this whole life is about. Solomon finds value in plumbing the depths of sorrow and pain. He has a doctorate degree in seeing how broken things are. Solomon is a great bad news delivering anchor on the, on the evening news. He's awesome at making you feel and understand how terrible things are. We'll get this. We're going to turn our eyes away from Solomon now, and we're going to shift our attention to the greater than Solomon. Remember, Jesus called himself the greater than Solomon, or the one who completes all that Solomon was trying to, to help us with. And so we're going to look at Jesus, and Jesus agrees with Solomon, but he offers us hope that Solomon could not see. So check this out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in a steel, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus agrees with Solomon. He says, your times will fade. Everything will grow tired and old in this world. He perfectly, excuse me, he perfectly agrees with Solomon in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. Jesus points us to a different kind of worth, a different kind of gain. The gain, remember that word, the profit? He says there is a different kind of profit, a different kind of gain, a different kind of value and worth. He says it's heavenly worth, heavenly value, heavenly gain. And guess what? You can't find heavenly gain under the sun. Or remember, under the sun means without God in the equation. Just in this life, he says, you cannot have heavenly gain. We must learn, Jesus says, to seek our meaning and find our value in God, in heaven. Where does God live? He lives in heaven. Where should our meaning and value be found? In heaven. How? How can I do that on this earth? This earth that is cursed and valueless and and transient and meaningless and vanity. How can I find heavenly value while I'm living on earth? How? By knowing God. Knowing God. How simple is that? Colossians chapter 3 helps us understand this. He says, If then you were raised with Christ. Past tense, you were raised with Christ. When? When you believed. When you became a Christian, when you became born again, you became something more than just this life. He says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. There's an active, uh, striving word, seek. Seek the things which are above. Above, where Christ is. Jesus says, don't worry about this life. Worry about the life to come, the heavenly, heavenly life. He says here, seek the things which are above where Christ is. Where's that? In heaven. Sitting at the right hand of God. Where? In heaven. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of earth. Jesus is telling us where to find meaning, how to find meaning. He says, pursuing a relationship with God through Christ rather than finding your meaning in this world. Pursue a relationship, seek a relationship, strive for a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus says that's how we overcome all this. Now look, in in verse 3 and 4, uh, it says, for you died, keeping going in Colossians, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a life hidden for you and for me. There's a value hidden for you and for me. There's a meaning hidden for you and for me. Where's it hidden? In Christ, in God, with Christ, in God. And then he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You won't see the meaning of your life here now. You'll see it later. It'll be revealed when Jesus is revealed. And those who have sought him and those who have have grown a deep relationship with him, they will be rewarded and their life will matter and their life will be rich and full and rewarded. And that is the only way. Jesus agrees. Paul, as he writes Colossians, agrees. All the value and meaning and gain and profit that you will ever want is in heaven, already been earned for you, already been given to you, but it's hidden in Jesus. It's hidden in heaven, and it's called glory. That's what glory is. All that we could want or need is glory. And it's not a thing you find, and it's not a thing you do. It's not found in anything that's created or anything in creation. It's in a person in Jesus Christ. And the meaning we search for is, is 
hidden. Solomon searched and Solomon uh, thought and Solomon considered, but the meaning that Solomon searched for was hidden from him. Why? Because it was revealed to the whole world in Jesus. When Jesus came, all of it was revealed. It wasn't hidden to keep it away from us. It was not hidden to keep it away from us, but to keep it safe for us. It's not like a treasure that is hidden away from you that you cannot access. It's like a treasure that is hidden in Christ where you are given full and complete access. You may have a relationship with Christ today. It has been granted to you. It has been given to you. You have been invited into him. He says, come to me. Come to me. And I will give you, and he lists so many things that he will give you, all of it. It's hidden in Jesus. Your life's meaning and purpose hidden in Jesus. Everyone else that tries to distract you from that is lying. Everything in this world that says you need this also is a lie. Jesus is all that you need. That life meaning that Solomon was convinced was not found on this earth, it is hidden, not on this earth, in heaven, in Jesus. But you have access as you come to Christ through his way. What is the way? Humility and faith. You can access this life that is hidden in heaven, a treasure of meaning and value and everything that you've ever longed for. All that was taken away from man in the Garden of Eden at the curse, it's reserved for you. It's hidden for you. It's in the bank account in Jesus. And you can go there and you can access it through relationship with him. You come with him, you come to him with humility saying, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And then you you bring that faith and you say, Jesus, I trust you. I need you and I trust you. Humility and faith. Jesus promises that he pours out this life meaning, this value, this gain, this grace to us whenever we come to him with humility and faith, even though we don't deserve it, even though we could never earn it. It's called grace for a reason. It's free and unearned. And he says, you can have it all restored back to you. A free, unearned profit and gain and meaning from God, a recovered glory, a renewed life, all of it free. Only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our next verse we're going to tackle is John 6, 27, where Jesus says this, Do not labor. Just let those words sink in. Do not labor for the food which perishes. But do labor for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you. Do you see the contrast, the contradiction in those words? He says, don't labor for the things that uh, don't matter in this life, but, but there's something else that matters more. Do, he could say labor, although it does, he doesn't say the word labor because he's, he wants you to understand that it's, it's something that the Son of Man gives to you. Jesus gives you freely the thing that you wanted to work for before. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. Solomon was convinced that our labor was in vain, and Jesus agrees. He says, your labor is in vain, guys. You can't do it. Jesus promises to give, and give is always connected to grace. It's the language of grace. Whenever you see give, Jesus giving something, God giving something, it's not something that's earned through labor and through work and efforts. And that grace, Jesus says, is what you really need. Jesus promises to give you what you really need. 
an eternally profitable meaning and value in your life. Eternal life. Not temporary life, not life that just lasts these quick years that we're on this earth, but a life that lasts for eternity. Think about eternity and what is valuable and then strive for what is valuable. Strive to have a relationship with Jesus. Does that mean we just sit on our couch and like do nothing ever? No. It means with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, dive into a relationship with Jesus. Pray continually. Be in the word. Seek him in the mornings. You know, let him convict you and deal with him through every issue of life. All the things you try to tackle on your own, stop and let the Lord uh, have the control. Give, surrender the control to the Lord and ask him for his grace in all those situations. Strive to know him is an active thing, not a passive thing, extremely active. Jesus says you can have a life that is eternally valuable while you are still living a life here that is touched by the curse and tasting the curse every day. How do I know that? He says in John 16.33, uh, which I don't have uh, for us here, but John 16.33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There's the curse, the tribulation that we will experience in this life. We will still have to go through all the things that hurt us, but our value is hidden in our relationship with Christ. You will still see and feel and taste all the loss and all the vanity that Solomon describes for us. You will still have to live in this world, but we are commanded to be of good cheer, to cheer up because Jesus has overcome the world. The curse is... And uh, that, that did all of this, you know, was broken at the cross. It really was. Jesus has set us free. And we will live out our days in, in a sure hope that we are not under that curse any longer. Our lives do matter. Because they are not lived out exclusively here on this earth. In other words, you and I, we don't just live on this planet right now. Our bodies and our mind lives here in this planet right now, but our spirit is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We have a dual life. We live here and in heaven at the same time, and we can live an existence where we live in both places fully and completely at the same time. So keep, Paul says, your eyes, your mind focused on heaven, that let that be the source of your life, the heavenly part of your existence. Keep your heart, he says, Jesus says, focused on heaven. There's a, there's a saying out there that says, that guy, he's of no earthly good because he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. And, and it's so false. The truth is that you are of no earthly good until you are heavenly minded. All of your life can matter, and it can be of earthly good as a free gift from him as we set our minds and hearts on him, worshiping Jesus, abiding with him, and keeping connected with him uh, and his life. He has overcome all the bad, all the curse of this life, all the meaninglessness with his own goodness, his own good life. Luke chapter 3, he says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough ways smooth. And all, the, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This was back when, when God was describing the job description of the Messiah, the one who would come and fix everything, the one who would come and restore uh, the uh, Eden 
to the world, the one who would fix the curse. This is the job description of the Messiah. And Jesus agrees that this is his job description. Jesus took this job knowing this was the job description. And Solomon said, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be numbered. And Jesus says, watch me. Just watch me. You're going you're gonna to see me blow your mind. You're all going to see me fix the world. I'm going to step into your world. The curse will be broken in this world, and I'm going to save it all. Just watch me. Jesus says, seek those things which are above where he is. Watch him. Paul says, set your mind on things above. Watch him. Doing this gives our life value. That's how we have this eternal gain. Solomon says, it's not under the sun. Jesus agrees, it's not under the sun. It's above the sun. It's in heaven. That is where your life is. So, that's our task this week. Set your mind on Christ. Abide with him connect with him. How? Through humility and faith. Humble yourself before him. Confess your sins. uh, Put your trust in him. Receive all that he says. Believe it. Believe that it's true. And, and, And your life will have this satisfaction that it really can't even be explained. It's like how it was in the Garden of Eden where God is everything and we are his children And he loves us and we love him. That relationship is the goal. So God bless you guys. I hope you were challenged and encouraged today to seek Christ with all your heart. I know I was. So let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Again, remember the announcements this week and keep an eye on our Facebook page. Keep an eye on all the things we have coming up because we're going to have some information. I'm going to send out an email and some text to, to those of you who can help us on Friday night and on Saturday, uh, 9 a.m. next week. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be exciting. So God bless you all. Father, I pray that you'd fill us with joy and peace, knowing, uh, Jesus, that you have done everything for us that we could ever need. You've broken the curse, and you are all. uh, And we worship you, and we love you, because you first loved us. Amen. All right, God bless you guys.